Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, July 31st. He's on a mission to cure degenerative eye diseases and other issues afflicting our bodies. We had a fascinating conversation with drug developer and research professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo, Sachdev Sidhu, who told us about the Canadian-based and first drug of its kind that could treat incurable eye diseases. Alberta's default electricity rate is expected to soar in August to the highest it's ever been in our province's history. We talk with Joel McDonald, the founder of energyrates.ca, about what Albertans need to know in order to save hundreds of dollars on their energy bills every month. And could you actually build a better brain through music, dance, and poetry? That's the focus of the New York Times bestseller, Your Brain on Art, How the Arts Transform Us. We talk about the health benefits of the arts with a man who is passionate about the topic, our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. He's on a mission to cure degenerative eye diseases and other issues in the body. Joining us to talk about a new drug he's developed is Sachdev Sidhu, research professor in the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Appreciate it. Tell us about the drug you've developed. What's the name of it? And and you have such high hopes for it. Why so? Um, Yeah, it's actually several names. (laughs) Um, There's on a um, technical names, but it's being tested under the name Restore It by a, a company in the United States, iBio. Um, and it's a long, it's a long path. Um, my group originally started a company called Antlera a few years ago to develop the drug, and now we've uh, partnered with iBio. And um, excitingly, it's it is now in patients as of about a, a month ago, and it's called Restore It. And, uh, sorry, about a month ago you started testing it on patients. Is that was that what you yes. said? Yeah, yes, in, in the U.S. mainly. Okay, so tell us a little bit. You, you made an analogy that this drug is like building a car instead of destroying one. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, um, it's always exciting to get a therapy into patients, and we've had other success in the past. But this is particularly exciting because. Um, it's a whole new class of drugs which actually will be able to turn on signals in the human body that could restore damaged tissue. That's the name, restore it in this case. Uh, so most drugs actually work by um, turning off signals that are bad in the body. As you know, cancer is caused by overgrowth of cells. Um, so a lot of drugs turn things off. and. As you know from life, it's a lot easier to break things than make them. So it's interesting that you can turn off um, improper signaling in the body, not easily, but um, with, I'd say, a limited knowledge of how the thing actually works. Um, It's been much harder to turn on pathways that are understimulated. If you think about it, especially with people growing older, there's a lot of what we call degenerative diseases from Alzheimer's, which is... Uh, the brain not regenerating properly, Um, inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease, which is the gut not regenerating, osteoporosis, which is bone degeneration. And in this case, the problem is um, certain cells in the eye uh, don't kind of generate properly. Uh, So you end up with under-signaling. And the challenge has always been, can you understand biology well enough to make complex drugs that turn these pathways on Um, and this is the first um, in this whole system that we've managed to do and it's actually a a first in class drug so it's the first of its kind 
fascinating and, uh, you know, obviously could be life-changing for so many people. Did you, like, were you after this? Is Was this the goal you were after? Or I know sometimes drugs, you know, are found to do certain things and oftentimes it's by accident. Or was this what you were searching for? Um, definitely as a very targeted search on the actual pathways. Again, what makes our approach um, special in that we spent a long time working on these particular proteins that others over many decades have shown are responsible for a lot of uh, development of normal tissue and thus are often under-regulated in these diseases. Uh, however, the eye therapy is more, I would say, serendipitous um, because this is a whole class of proteins and we happen to work with um, the company Antlera, which we started, did a great job of talking to a lot of other companies and iBio was actually looking in the eye space and kind of uh, different groups working together to come up with this application. But again, what's exciting for us is um, we think we could have a whole class of drugs, other proteins that are very similar and we already have drugs that could target those, are involved in uh, Crohn's disease, osteoporosis, et cetera. So it's a systematic approach. Uh, the fact that we have some success, hopefully, uh, we still have to test it in humans, in the eye is great, uh, but it wasn't necessarily planned that we would do that first. Um, it's great that we were able to, but we have higher hopes for other drugs than our next one. Uh, we're looking for funding for is already ready to go into patients where we need the funding for manufacturing and clinical trials uh, we believe could be effective for inflammatory bowel disease and Crohn's which uh, afflicts millions of people in North America alone that's another exciting uh, development we're looking at Wow, Professor, this could have incredible effects on so many people suffering from so many different things. When we talk about the degenerative eye disease side of things specifically, though, which diseases do you think that this this, this drug restore it might actually work towards? Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's because it's a specific pathway. We actually know a lot about that. And um, age-related macular degeneracy, which there are some treatments for um, that target another protein, but many patients uh, aren't treated with that effectively um, so that's one big one which is age related so as people get older it's becoming more and more of a problem then there's diabetic retinopathies and as you know diabetes is a huge problem and blindness is often an unfortunate effect of that over time so those are two big ones and then actually there's a lot of rarer genetic diseases including one in children which we think could be quite exciting it's rare but devastating because they're born with a genetic defect. Um, and this may also help those kinds of rare diseases that have a, a genetic defect. So there's a number of them that could be impacted. And Professor, this is a drug being uh, researched, being created in Canada, correct? But you're going to test it in the U.S. first. Is it just easier to do testing in the States than here? Um, to give the United States credit, it's more than just the testing. It's always... Um, perennial problem for us in Canada. We don't fund the downstream, and we can get into why that is, but I think we have time. But uh, I'll give the U.S. credit. Um, I used to work there at a company called Genentech in the early 2000s, and I know a lot of people there. So we actually, even Antlera, our company was founded, and it's in the Bay Area. We have a Canadian branch. 
So we quickly moved it into the U.S. because they actually uh, put a lot of money into this kind of stuff, quite frankly. And then iBio stepped up and raised a lot of money to do the clinical trials. Uh, so even from the manufacturing on, to be honest, um, and my lab, I mean, I'm, I'm a co-founder of Manterra, so I've been heavily involved all the way. But a lot of the later work um, had been done in the United States, which is uh, great that we get it done. But um, that's typically the way drug development works um, through Canada. You're a research professor, so this is what you do. But I would imagine when you find a drug like this, when you when you come across something that maybe will do what you were really hoping and going after, that's got to be the ultimate in your career, is it not? I mean, you're pretty you're pretty low key and and relaxed right now, but it must have been pretty exciting when you realize that there this this drug it clearly could do some very very important things. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously having an impact on human health is, is great and we're not finished yet obviously it'll take a number of years uh, for this to hopefully be effective um, but it's also exciting that I think as I said we have another series of drugs and you know we'd like those to be advanced even more rapidly and, and maybe those to be developed in Canada but there's a lot of things we can still improve and that's what we're always working on including as you know with drugs Developing a drug isn't the end of the story. How do we make it affordable? Mm-hmm. How do we get it to patients effectively? So that's, those, those are challenges that still remain to be uh, dealt with. Well, thank you so much for telling us about Restore. appreciate your time this morning, and uh, I can't wait for an update on, on when it actually will be put into practice and working on humans for us here. So thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for your interest. Thank you. Satchdev Sidhu is a drug developer, research professor in the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. Alberta's default electricity rate is expected to soar now in August to its highest rate charged to customers in the province's history. The Alberta Utilities Commission is just waiting for approval. So now is the time to talk about what we can do before it changes. To discuss, we are joined this morning by Joel McDonald, the founder of energyrates.ca. Hi, Joel. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Alberta's default electricity rate. What's the default electricity rate to begin? There's three different formats that Albertans can purchase electricity. There's the old Crown Corporation when we used to have regulated electricity um, and that everyone had to purchase from in Calgary, that was NMAX. When they deregulated the marketplace, they didn't think it was a good idea to say, hey, January 1st, everyone has to sign up to a competitive retailer. So they came up with the regulated rate option and everyone would default to that product and then you could actively sign up to a competitive retailer if you wanted or you could choose to stay on the regulated rate so if you did nothing you're still on the rro so the regulated rate option so that's where we're seeing this increase right is as of august one is it uh correct and it's actually unfortunately confirmed now so it was projected up until Friday, uh, but now we know it's confirmed at 31.85 cents. The reason everyone's focused on the RRO is because it is forward-looking, so you know what your rate, and it's based off estimates of what the wholesale price is going to be for August. Um, There's about a third of Albertans that purchase from the RRO. There's a second third of Albertans that purchase from the spot rate or the floating rate, 
their pricing is going to come in about the same, about 30 cents, but that won't be calculated till the end of the month. And then what is the third option? The third option, option, which right now is the best option, is a fixed rate. So every residential consumer has the option to sign up for a competitive retail agreement. The contracts are anywhere from one to five years. And the rates right now are sitting somewhere between 12 and 14 cents, depending on the retailer. One of the great things about the Alberta energy market is uh, about 10 years ago, we had a lot of aggressive door-to-door salespeople, and they were signing up grandmas on very high electricity rates. The government was going to come in and heavily regulate the industry, and the retailers said, hey, as opposed to heavily regulating us, what if we give all of our customers 30-day no-fee exit clauses? So unlike cable bills or cell phone bills where uh, if you sign up for five years, you're forced to stay there, In the electricity industry, you can sign a three-year contract and six months from now decide you no longer want it, send your 30-day no-fee exit and transfer off of it right away. So we could sign up today for the fixed rate, even though it does have a a life that we're supposed to sign up for, but but we can get out of it at no extra cost then. Is that what you're saying? Correct. For all major retailers, there's a few lots very minor ones that have some exit fees, but all the major ones that you're used to, you can exit any time. So you can actually know definitively that you're going to save about half price on your electricity, at least for the next few months. Okay, we need to get on board with this. Okay, so you said the default (laughs) or regulated rate and the spot or floating rate are about the same, 30 to 32 cents, and the fixed rate at 12 to 14 cents. This is something that everybody really needs to be aware of, right? Absolutely. And just to quantify numbers, there's still 112,000 residential consumers in Calgary that are still on the RRO. Uh, Rates were exceptionally high in July as well. So they were 28 cents in July, uh, but Calgarians haven't actually got that July bill yet. Um, It'll it'll be coming out, you know, mid-August. And then these record-breaking rates of August will be coming out mid-September. Uh, So even though the rates have been really high, that pricing hasn't slowed down to the bills yet. Uh, It's going to be a a little bit of a smack in the face, isn't it, when we get that bill for sure. Why are the rates so high and why are they going up to these record levels? So there's two main reasons. There's the um, macro on the way uh, that our energy industry is structured. We have what's called an energy-only grid system. That means that generation stations are only compensated when they're injecting electricity into the grid. The vast majority of grid systems are called capacity grid systems, whereby generators get two different payment types. One, when they are injecting electricity, but a second one for just having standby generation. So um, our energy grid is set up in a way that we have exceptionally low electricity uh, some years. Uh, 2016 to 2019, uh, we were paying three to five cents a kilowatt hour, uh, and we had some of the lowest rates in North America. But now, in times of high demand or a mismatch between supply and demand, we'll see some of the highest rates. Wow. Uh, Interest. Talking to Joel McDonald, founder of energyrates.ca. And Joel, I I know, you know, there's kind of an idea that there are two groups of people that are still on the RRO or regulated rate. Who are those two groups? 
Yeah. Uh, so because we can quantify savings and we know, you know, residential consumers will see about $100 a month savings switching off, um, we feel that the first group would just be people that aren't informed. Um, they haven't, you know, people don't look at their bills every single month, uh, don't follow the electricity industry very closely. But the second group are those that may not have the credit to sign up for a uh, competitive retailer. Unfortunately, there is a credit check process, uh, and if you don't qualify, you're stuck on the RRO. Okay, that's bad news for a lot of people, but, you know, can you shop yourself around then? I mean, it's not just NMAX that's out there, right? Yeah, no, you, you absolutely can. Uh, we're a fan of our, our website, energyreads.ca. It posts all of the uh, publicly listed electricity pricing, but you can do your own research. And the common strategy is simply looking at all the major retailers and whoever has the lowest price, regardless of term, if it's one years, three years or five years to sign up for that. And then simply, you know, checking in on the marketplace every three to six months and seeing is there a new retailer that's cheaper um, or maybe spot pricing uh, goes significantly lower. <laughs> if that's the case, you can always send in your 30 days notice and switch back to the RRO. So you, you kind of have to be on the ball, but really this can save a lot of money. What are we talking about over the term of, of a good month? So there's a wide range of electricity consumption. Uh, we have everything from small apartments to very large homes. But on average, you're looking at about 100 to $150 additional charge to stay on the RRO or savings if you are on the RRO to, to switch to a competitive retailer. That's a big deal these days. I think we're all struggling and all seeing our bills that are higher than usual. 100 to $150 a month makes a big deal. So uh, unfortunately, though, there's a problem for those who stay on the RRO, the more people who switch over to the, the fixed or floating rates, right? So this is another reason why we need to pay attention. Yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation. Um, your listeners might recall uh, this past winter, there was a rate deferral program whereby the government, uh, they called it a cap, but they basically said if pricing goes above 3.5 cents, or 13.5 cents, then we won't charge you for that now, but we'll have you pay that back over the next 18 months. Uh, so kind of like buying electricity on a credit card. Um, that deferral program only applies to customers on the RRO. However, people can transfer off the RRO anytime, as we mentioned. So there's about a $200 million IOU sitting on the RRO right now. Um, recently, that works out to be about $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour. We mentioned there's 112,000 Calgarians on the RRO. If half of those were to leave, which would be the common sense thing to do, those that are still on the RRO will go from paying $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour in deferral payments to six cents. And then I, that can snowball and if half leave again, it can go to 12 cents. So if you don't wanna get stuck holding the bag of this deferral payment and paying for other people's electricity, it's really important to get off the RRO as quickly as possible. Get off the RRO, get onto a fixed rate, save yourself some money. Thank you so much, Joel, for breaking it down. Really appreciate your time. Folks can also go to energyrates.ca for lots of information there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Joel McDonald is the founder of energyrates.ca. 
could you actually build a better brain through music, dance, and poetry? Well, that's the focus of the New York Times bestseller, Your Brain on Art, How the Arts Transform Us. We thought we'd take a look at the health benefits of the arts with a man who is very passionate about the topic, our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Hi, Dr. J. How are you? Very good. Excellent. Yeah, this is a, a topic close to my heart for sure. Yeah, tell us why. I know why, but you tell our listeners yeah, why. Because I've been doing this all my life. I, you know that uh, I really have a, a huge belief that we all have creativity within us, and some people just feel that they don't and they let it die. But, you know, when we're kids, we're always encouraged to, to draw, to write, you know, to do all these things, and then we get into you know, junior high and high school, and all of a sudden, oh, you need to pick a path. You know, if you're going to be a scientist, you need to go down this path and forget all that. And if we would just keep it alive, it's just so, so uh, powerful and so helpful to our to our life, to our, uh, you know, just being happy, being healthy, etc. cetera. Uh, this study actually points that it's actually scientifically helps our brain grow, be bigger, rewire better, so uh, we're so, uh, finally getting some science. It's not just I feel good doing this. It actually, I have a healthier brain if I do this. It's actually huge. And I mean, you you're you're a poet. You you sing. You're a performer. What is it about that kind of 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 you know that culture? Those those types of arts that that affects our brain. And what's it actually doing? Well, it actually, so our brain is very plastic. It isn't just you lay down a, a brain and it stays exactly the same. Uh, it can actually grow. It can actually rewire. It can actually, you can make a brain healthier. Like you work out at the gym, you can actually work your brain and actually make it uh, bigger and stronger. Um, and, and that's what uh, creativity or uh, if you're working in the arts, it actually seems to have that impact literally. I don't mean, you know, figuratively. I mean, literally, it actually rewires your brain in certain areas, makes those wiring stronger. Uh, actually, the brain actually expands um, in size. You have a bigger, healthier brain. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And we're, again, we're seeing the science of this now. This is one book, This Is Your Brain on Art. There's another book, uh, which is brilliant, called This Is Your Brain on Music uh, that I read quite a a number of years ago, which is very, very powerful. Uh, But science proving what we've known all along, that this is healthy and good for us. Does it matter how old you are, Dr. J? Not at all. So again, like I allude to, like we, we, we honor this in kids. In fact, we encourage it. That's what school is all about. But even in, in uh, middle-aged, elderly, if we, I think they have studies now uh, essentially showing, and I don't mean just people like who've had a stroke and who have to, um, you know, recover their brain function. This, this could be in healthy people uh, where we can improve our brain function. Certainly uh, music therapy uh, is a science uh, where people have had, say, uh, a brain cancer, a stroke, something that there's been damage to the brain and trying to help it recover by using therapies like music therapy, uh, et cetera. So, we, you know, we go into that in the arts world, and that's at elderly ages when we're doing that, and it seems to help. It can be very beneficial. So, Dr. J, can you break it down a little bit? Like, does it have to be us playing an instrument, or is it just us listening to music and sort of getting into it? Or, you know, what do we need to do? So it can be either, right? I think the most, I guess the most powerful thing is if we are doing it um, and if we have the ability to do that, whether, again, it be drawing, uh, dancing, you know, a physical thing where we are actually doing it. But I think if we cannot, even even with music therapy, just the listening, 
the calming effect. Uh, we're finding this in chronic pain syndromes, uh, the calming effect in hospitals and ORs. So that's a very passive. We're not doing anything. We're just taking it all in. But even there, there seems to be a very positive uh, interaction when, when we use music or different color, uh, you know, the artistic expression. Um, it can make a huge difference in outcomes, whether it's a positive or negative outcome. And that's right directly on the brain. It's fascinating. So it's not just mental health. It's, there are physical benefits as well then. Very much so. And I think, you know, it's funny how we think of exercise as a physical thing, but yet it helps mental health. Well, this is a thing that we think this is a mental health, right? Oh, you're creative or you're, you know, that's got nothing to do with physicality, but you're physically healthier if you do pursue the arts or, or, or at least uh, have an artistic expression as part of your life. Even if it, you truly believe you have not a creative bone in your body, mm-hmm. just by listening or by reading or just by allowing that part, part of your life to, to still exist, not shutting it down because there's no time or I'm too old for this. Feel-good hormones, endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, all of it, just, you know, whether it be dance or listening to music. We used to have a lot of dance parties when my kids were smaller, and we've kind of gotten away from that. So clearly I need to bring back the dance party 2023, don't I, in my living room? Well, yes, and it's, you know, that's that fun thing, right? So most artistic things are fun, are, you know, you get to play, you know, we forget about play, right? And, oh, we're, you know, we're too busy to play, we're too old to play, you're, you're a doctor, how can you play? Like, come on, you're serious, you're, and yet play is so, so important to us. And we can say that play as in truly play around, like with games versus play, play an instrument versus play, you know, I'm just, I'm just pursuing some artistic something. Right, I'm letting my brain just flow and be creative and just having fun with it. I'm not too old. I'm not too serious. I'm not too, you know, I could do this in my day-to-day life. God, I'm passionate. I when I get talking about this, yeah, it's, uh, it really is so, so important. You are passionate about it. You love it. The, the New York Times bestseller, it's called Your Brain on Art, How the Arts Transform Us. Thank you, Dr. J. Your passion, we can hear it, we can feel it. And, you know, it's an easy way to get health benefits. Why wouldn't we do it? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you betcha. That's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician.